2: I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special edition episode of the podcast on parenting through divorce. This will be one of several, maybe three to four on this topic. So it'll be a special series of episodes I will do in addition to the regular weekly episodes. Now, if you're tuning into this episode because this is something you're going through, it probably isn't an episode you're particularly happy about listening to. But if you are, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you feel supported through the process and also get some good information as well. So let's be honest, regardless of where you are, this is not an easy journey, even in the very best of circumstances. Whether you're the one who decides that you're done, or you're the one who received the news, or you came to it mutually, it's wrought with a lot of emotional upheaval. But it's also filled with a lot of emotional growth if you're willing to accept that challenge and not stay stuck. So I'm going to get really honest here right now, and I'm going to share my own truth, my own story. My truth may overlap with yours in some places. Some of what I share with you, you may feel relieved that someone else feels the same way or felt the same way you are feeling right now. Some of it may feel very different from yours. Yes, my ex-husband and I, Corey, have been through this process. I and we have kept it very quiet, not just from the podcast, but even from our own family and friends in our community for a very long time. There are actually still quite a few people in all of those circles who have no idea yet. They may find out through this podcast. Surprise! <laughs> the most important thing to us was that we protected our kids from knowing anything until we were fully ready to tell them ourselves, and this is why we kept it very quiet. First, I'm gonna share some of our journey to the degree I think might offer some support, help, or even just feelings of understanding and camaraderie. Also, hopefully something that you can see that divorce does not always have to be so contentious, that there are loving ways of letting go if it's something that you're able to do with your partner. I'll also share some tips from my class that all came directly from my experience. So I want to say around three years ago, I came home from a celebration from my swim coach's birthday. I was hanging out with my swim friends, but I somehow felt a little hollow inside. It had been going on for a while. Corey and I had been discussing and trying to work through some things, but it was getting more and more pronounced. And I remember it getting particularly naggy, this hollow feeling inside on this night. I know that's not really a word, right? Naggy. Anyway, I left that celebration, I came home, and I proceeded to fall apart on Corey's lap. I was sobbing uncontrollably. Now, I'm not the kind of person to get really emotional like this. I'm really even-tempered. I have a pretty moderate to low level of expression when it comes to working through and dealing with those negative emotions. I handle them pretty well and kind of move on. I get sad, but not weepy. I get angry or frustrated, but not explosive. Not much ruffles my feathers, but I was feeling so empty, so isolated, and so lonely. Through my sobs, I said to him, "What is wrong with me?" He seemed really taken aback and surprised by my extreme outburst, as well as a bit at a loss because he just had never seen me like this before. I don't know, he said the next day, my doctor's office called me, and they said my iron levels were dangerously low, and I needed to get in for a full workup and treatment as soon as possible. So I chalked it up to that. My iron was low, and it must have been affecting my mood. I got the treatment of the two iron infusions, and soon my iron was back to normal. Well, you know, it took about a month. Life went on. I struggled a bit with the blues and some nagging sadness, but nothing like what I experienced that night. But looking back, I now realize it was a big red flag, a sign to myself that I was far from happy And the low iron levels only allowed me to experience and express the true depth of my unhappiness. We worked for several years, as many do, to work through their particular issues. But a year and a half ago, we came to the realization there was no saving the marriage. It wasn't anything anyone had done. It was no one's fault. We had simply grown apart. I was on a trajectory that was very different from his. It was a long process to get to this place because by all standards, we were the quote unquote, perfect married couple. We were best friends. We supported each other. We loved our kids. We both contributed to the household. There were very few resentments and they were minor ones that we ended up working through during our therapy together. So I didn't think I had the right to be unhappy in my marriage. I kept trying to figure out what was wrong with me, how to get back to happy After a lot of personal work and therapy, I came to acceptance that I was growing into a person that didn't fit in this marriage any longer. There was nothing that we could do. We were too different. We wanted different things. If I were to expand and grow to become the person I was meant to be, it wasn't going to happen if I stayed in the marriage. I was dying inside a little bit more each day that I stayed. Like everyone, I struggled a lot with my emotions. I struggled with guilt on many levels. I blamed myself for not seeing the holes in the relationship earlier. Also, like everyone, when we initially got engaged, I fully expected we would beat the odds. We had so much going for us. We both had good careers. We were financially stable. We had both finished college. Actually, a long time before we met, we did. We were in our thirties, we were both very kind, caring people who communicated our needs and our wants together very well. We were very emotionally mature people who, who never blamed each other or played any of those kinds of games. We took responsibility when we hurt or disappointed one another. On paper, statistically, everything was stacked in our favor. So how could this happen? And I was talking to a friend of mine the other night about back when me and my ex were still dating. How we took a break from each other and we both dated other people and about how I couldn't stop thinking about him. How I knew I wanted to be with him. How there was a connection for sure. And I don't know how much I believe in fate or as a concept of soulmates. But I do believe Corey was the one who did capture my attention at that time for all the reasons that he did. He was the kindest person I had ever met. I knew he would be a good dad. He wanted kids. I knew he would never hurt me in any way, emotionally, physically, or any other way. Quite the opposite, that he would care for me and cherish me. And he did, and he still does. But I have also learned that not every story is a forever story. Actually, I think very few are. I think it's tough to grow in the same ways, in the same direction, for decades on end. And I'm not wanting to come across as anti-marriage or anti-lifelong love. I do think it exists, but I also think it's rare to find that match, that we maintain that level of connection, the ebb and flow together, or close enough together for a relatively long period of time in our lives. Sure, we're gonna kinda grow apart, come back together, but if we start to move one degree in a different direction, after so many years, you can end up miles apart. But on the contrary, I actually consider myself a hopeless romantic. Crazy as it is, I love love. I love relationships and I'm very good at them. I'm a great partner. I get it. I know how to give and take. I know how to communicate, how to work together, plan together, build something beautiful together emotionally, spiritually, a life, the whole thing. And I love doing that. I find the challenges of compromise and learning about each other deeply and learning to understand each other deeply very exciting. And I do think there is someone else out there for me. I think there is someone that will be a great fit for me for this next part of my journey that will have that full connection I'm looking for, that will be my partner in adventure for our growth journey, even stronger together than apart. But honestly, I don't see myself ever getting married again. I don't feel like I need that or even necessarily want it. But I learned a lot that I can carry forward and I'm hopeful that I've learned enough to create and foster something that will last the rest of my life the next time. So for anyone just in the beginning stages and dealing with a lot of the icky emotions that come with this, just know that there is a lot more hope after the healing. Also, because of this experience, I feel divorce can be a very positive thing, a growth experience where we can come out the other side happier, stronger, knowing ourselves even better. And I don't believe the measure of a successful marriage is how long you're married, but how happy you are, how much you grow during that time together. Does it serve your greater good for both of you? It doesn't mean it's always rosy. Sure, our spouse will challenge us, and they should. They should challenge us to become a better person. They should make us work harder to learn all kinds of things. And if there is love and respect still there and the journey with this person is worth it, by all means, give it all you've got. But if it's miserable and you're feeling stifled and smothered and imprisoned and it's been going on for years and you've been working at it and trying and hacking away, it's time to take a hard look at the situation honestly. It may mean a lot of self-exploration and discovery. It may mean some therapy for you or couples therapy for both of you if that's something you can do together. I mean, almost no one just throws in the towel and throws away a marriage like it's nothing, especially with kids involved. It takes most of us a long time to come to this decision. So whether you've made up your mind or you're still considering whether or not your marriage is a road you want to continue down, or you've already started the process, I'm going to give some tips and guidance for the beginning of the process, including getting to the part of just trying to figure out if you want to keep Trying or if you're done. So, coming to the decision to end a marriage for most of us is fraught with a lot of second guessing. When have we done enough? As I mentioned, no one walks away easily. The obvious recommendation, if you haven't already, is therapy individual therapy and couples therapy. I found working with my therapist invaluable. We did so much work digging into my feelings and where they were stemming from, but first and foremost, The right fit is imperative. A lot of mediocre therapists out there, and I know because I worked in the field, and I remember working with some of these therapists-to-be and thinking, you're going to be a therapist? I was very blessed to find one who not only is a licensed mental health professional, but he also had other qualifications that were very important to me and really fit me as a person, as an individual. He understands the personal growth process and journey. And I mean from a spiritual level, not just setting goals and achieving those goals, but digging into who am I? What do I want from my life going forward? What does my life look like? What vision do I have for myself and my children next year, in five years, in 10 years? How do I get from here to there? That is where so much of my angst came from, that gap, that gap between where I was and where I truly wanted my life to be. Noticing the gap is painful. It's been three years and I'm still not there. The gap is still bigger than I'd like it to be, but I'm also a lot further along than I was three years ago. So finding gratitude in that, looking back to how far I've come is reassuring. Now, when we return after the break, I'm going to get into three key areas and steps for working through this process, all of them working through this process of the emotions and setting up a really strong foundation for moving forward. All of them, which are very healing and supportive and will help alleviate the stress and strain when it all feels too heavy. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions
1: apply.
2: Now that we're back after the break, let's get into these areas for working through this process. So doing this emotional work is important. It's a tough journey for sure. Learning oneself, your patterns, your beliefs, expectations, shortcomings, anything and everything that got you to where you are today so you can release the emotions that do not serve the greater good of you or your family will be the best thing that you can do. Building a bridge of friendship with your soon-to-be ex, or at least some bridge of acceptance and or understanding, at minimum, the stronger you can build the bridge, the less stress and trauma for everyone, including your children. The work is ultimately for you, but it's also for your kids. Your new, deeper level of self-understanding and patterns of interacting will serve their healing and will actually even save them from a lot of the hurt, the pain, and the trauma that they don't need to experience. So each step, each deeper look you take at yourself, just know that you're also helping your kids and building a better foundation for them too. Even if your partner isn't on board, that's okay. If you're doing the healing work, they will benefit from it. In the class, Co-Parenting Part One, I give a lot of general guidelines and tips for getting started in this process of separating emotionally. This can be hard work and it can be painful. In addition, there are some other steps that are healing and helpful. The first one is building your support system. This will be your safety net and it is so healing to have this, not just to process emotions when you need a shoulder to cry on or someone to bounce things off of, But when you need a break from processing these emotions, it gets exhausting and I'm a deep thinker. So I probably went through this process faster than a lot of people because I just tend to think and mull things over a lot, but it gets exhausting and sometimes you just need to step away. If you have some friends that you can go to, that you can go to their house, sit on their couch, drink some wine, eat some chocolate and chat and maybe laugh, decompress, it is so healing. I never would have gotten through this process nearly as well as I did without the support of my friends and also my therapist. So because this separation and divorce process is tough, even for the most emotionally healthy, organized, intelligent, and independent person in the world, and I know this because I count myself in that group. Whether you've already made the decision or you're only considering it, you're really going to want and need a solid support system. You're going to want someone you can text, call, or meet with you at a moment's notice when you need someone to listen as you process your feelings. You will learn quickly who will be available to you and to what degree. Some may be available at a moment's notice, others only sometimes, and others within the hour or the day. You'll figure this out and then you'll weave together this support system. You're gonna do your best to make sure there are very few holes. Now, of course, there's going to be a few holes. There may be days when no one is available right away, but someone is available the next day and that's okay. Build your system as robust as you can. When these moments come, it's time to distract yourself or work through your feelings on your own in the next 24 hours as best you can until you have someone available. Friends are likely your life support through the process. So maybe you already know one or two of these friends, or maybe you're one of those people who has a nice group of friends already. That's great. Consider yourself lucky, especially if you have friends who've been through the divorce process and you know for sure they will be really supportive. You may have a friend or two you know unequivocally you can trust with everything and anything. They already know the struggles up to this point and won't be surprised to hear you are either considering or are filing for divorce. If that's the case, you want to put this friend on your list of your support system. But if you are not feeling 100% confident about a friend's ability to support you, you want to tread slowly and lightly at first until you know for sure. Think of it as one of those boats that kids build in science class, where they slowly test the weight to see how much it can hold, right? One penny at a time. You don't wanna put too much weight on the boat thinking it can hold and then be surprised when it sinks suddenly or just tips over. Just because Susan has been your best friend for 20 years and has seen you through infertility and you've been there through her husband's drinking problem to sobriety does not necessarily mean she will understand. Just because Linda got divorced last year from her abusive husband does not mean she will understand. Linda may feel you have the perfect man, one who treats you like a princess, and you're being selfish. Susan may think your marriage is far better than hers, but she's sticking it out, so why can't you? Times of personal growth tend to show which friendships will be there to grow with you and which ones will not weather the storm. When a friend isn't willing to go with you, it's usually way more about them than you. Sometimes it's misery loves company. You've been complaining about your marriages together for years, but that person isn't ready to change. Your change is a threat to their stability. They're losing their quote-unquote bitching partner, and if you're getting divorced, they might feel it's something they should be considering too, but they aren't ready. It will trigger a defensive response, meaning making you the one who's wrong in your decision. So tread lightly. So you want to think of your closest friends you can really trust and even then bring up the subject in a very non-definitive way if this is something you haven't been discussing with them much. So something like, as you know, John and I have been having trouble for some time. I'm not sure we're going to make it. Or John and I have started counseling to see if we can improve our marriage. You want to give it some time to breathe. Give it a few days or a week. If they're truly supportive and don't go gossiping to your other friends, Then you can go a little deeper each time you talk. Again, don't put more weight on the boat than it's proven it can hold and you can handle if it tips over and you get wet. Divorce is hard enough. You don't need to have a quote unquote friend who blabs your business to all the neighbors long before you filed any paperwork or told the kids. So I had, and I still have three very supportive friends through this process. One of them was a divorced single mom who I met through my son's swim team. We had known each other for years. She had divorced after we had met. Another mom of my daughter's, another is a mom of my daughter's friend who we had become good friends also. She was a single mom who had struggled through the process of separation with her kid's dad. And a third friend I had met at a business networking event but we had grown very close. We were both struggling in our marriages and had shared a lot. So I knew she would also be good support. Luckily, I seemed to have very good intuition about people and I knew that these were very trustworthy people that I was able to share my deepest struggles, feelings, insecurities, things that I hadn't seen or missed earlier in my marriage, all of this with these people. Kept it completely to myself until we had filed all the paperwork, come to all the agreements, and then told the kids. The second recommendation is to do research and reading. I know it's a lot to find time for these things. Therapy and books. It's time consuming for sure. But when it comes to a decision as important as this, putting in the investment is really important. And not that's just the decision, but the way that you're going to walk through this process with your soon to be ex. Whether your partner is on board or is doing the work or not, again, is just going to be really important to supporting your kids through the process. You're not just wanting to make the right decision for this relationship if you decide to stay, but if you want to make it the best you can, and that means doing the work even if you ultimately decide to leave. And if you ever plan to get into another relationship, which most of us will at some point, you'll definitely want to do the work for that as well. So here are three of the books that I read when I was trying to figure out if I was going to stay or go. There are additional books that I also read after I had made the decision that this was no longer a viable marriage. And in the class, I cover those book, all the books as well with descriptions. Now these descriptions are pulled right out of Amazon. These are not ones that I wrote. So I just wanna give props to Amazon, but they're really good descriptions, obviously better than what I'm gonna write as a summary. So first one I read was called Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay. And Amazon says, psychotherapist Mira Kirschenbaum draws on years of research and her work with real life couples to help you make the right decision, provides expert guidelines that are the key to making all your choices, concrete steps that you can implement right now, and the ultimate way to determine your personal bottom line, what you need to be happy. This remarkably insightful and probing guide offers advice that lets you see the truth about your relationship. With wisdom and compassion, it helps you act with the confidence of knowing that whether you decide to go or stay, you are doing the very best thing. The second book that I read was The All or Nothing Marriage by Eli Finkel. Now, this book really hit home for me. While this book seems to be for those wanting to make their marriage better, it was the book that clearly spelled out for me why my partner My ex was no longer the partner for me in the next part of my life's journey. And here's the description again from Amazon. Eli J. Finkel's insight and groundbreaking investigation of marriage clearly shows that the best marriages today are better than the best marriages of earlier eras. Indeed, they are the best marriages the world has ever known. He presents his findings here for the first time in this lucid, inspiring guide to to modern marital bliss. The all-or-nothing marriage reverse-engineers fulfilling marriages from the quote-unquote traditional to the utterly non-traditional and shows how any marriage can be better. The primary function of marriage from 1620 to 1850 was food, shelter, and protection from violence. From 1850 to 1965, the purpose revolved around love and companionship, and this was the kind of relationship that my husband and I had together. But today, a new kind of marriage has emerged, one oriented towards self-discovery, self-esteem, and personal growth. And this is the kind of relationship that I am looking for. And And while we did have some of that, especially in the beginning, this was the area of our marriage that really left me feeling pretty flat. So back to the description, Finkel combines cutting-edge scientific research with practical advice. He considers paths to better communication and responsiveness. He offers guidance on when to recalibrate our expectations, and he even introduces a set of must-try quote-unquote love hacks. This is a book for the newlywed to the empty nester. For those thinking about getting married or remarried, and for anyone looking for illuminating advice that will make a real difference to getting the most out of marriage today. The third book that I read early on to try and figure out what was going on in my marriage was Mating in Captivity, Unlocking Erotic Intelligence by Esther Perel. The description, again, from Amazon. One of the world's most respected voices on erotic intelligence, Esther Perel offers a bold, provocative new take on intimacy and sex. Mating in Captivity invites us to explore the paradoxical union of domesticity and sexual desire and explains what it takes to bring lust home. Drawing on more than 20 years of experience as a couples therapist, Perel examines the complexities of sustaining desire. Through case studies and lively discussion, Perel demonstrates how more exciting, playful, and even poetic sex is possible in long-term relationships. Wise, witty, and as revelatory as it is straightforward, Mating in Captivity is a sensational book that will transform the way you live and love. And then one of the other most important steps I also cover in the class is, and I've touched on this earlier, is finding the right therapist or therapists. If you go separately or you're doing both individual and couples, you may decide to do separate therapists. And then I also cover The process of working through each of the difficult emotions, and I go through a list of them, why they might be triggered by them, and then all the ways to work through each of those emotions to be at your best place and your best self to work through this process to make these decisions as child-centered as possible. So I know this was a lot of information, a lot to uncover. This whole process took me probably at least a year working through this part of it, reading the books, doing the work, going through therapy to get to the point where I was ready to start working on the next steps of paperwork and agreements and that kind of thing. I hope that you found this helpful, enlightening, supportive and to get some more in-depth tips on working through that emotional process of uncoupling from your parenting partner, working together in co-parenting through that process as you're working to separate emotionally, as well as more in-depth on books, on working through the emotions, on finding the right fit for a therapist, places to go, things to consider, ways you can save some money in that process. The co-parenting part one class really dives into all of this really deeply. It's actually an hour worth of material that I put together based on my experience of working through this process. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the next episode, whether it's our regularly scheduled question and answer episode or the next special episode on parenting through divorce.